this is not in English. It's Santo, Santo, Santo. All right, now, let me explain the progression of phones to you, okay? All right, uh, I first remember the cell phone uh, in my dad's car in a bag with an antenna the size of a now cell tower coming out of the roof of his car. Did any of your fathers have the, the phone in the bag, okay? All right, and most of you are still in the womb, so you can't remember. Then the first cell phone model came out as the Zach Morris size of your face phone. Do you guys remember this, Right? Some of you guys who still have a flip phone, you, you, that's still about half of the size, okay? The iPhone 6 is about a third of the size of the first cell phone, all right? It was like you were eating it while talking on it. It was a miracle. And then as things have progressed, I recorded this from Ecuador on March 26th of 2012 on my iPhone in the jungle and somehow through outer space, it went on a chip on my phone, you know? And, and like I just set it in the middle of, of, the, of our hut and hit record, and it recorded us singing, holy, holy, holy. And for those of you that don't know Spanish, I don't either, but someone told me that's what it was. It, it recorded us singing that. I actually remember this exact moment. I recorded an hour and 26 minutes of that night, so it did a number on my, um, on my memory. But um, I remember because I, I wasn't thinking about anything else. Like, I wasn't thinking about leading the trip. I wasn't thinking about how hot it was in Ecuador. I wasn't thinking about uh, what was next on the agenda. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about my kids back home or even my wife. Um, I was literally so consumed with who God was that nothing, else, that nothing else at all mattered. It was like I was one-track-minded or had a one-track heart. Um, if I were just to be really, really vulnerable with you... I would say that that's my desire all the time. Like, I want to be so one-track-minded and so one-track-heart that nothing else even has a chance of permeating my head or my heart. But in vulnerability, I just want to say that I struggle with that. Um, I uh, deal and lead a lot of things and have a lot of stressors, as it were, a lot of things competing for my mental energy and certainly the love of my heart. But my desire, my desire is that my entire life will be so consumed, so one-tracked with the character of God, that the competition for the worship of my heart would be no competition at all. And my premise is, is that that is where true life is, where literally nothing else matters. And it sounds so like Christian euphoric to say that. All right, friends, like nothing else matters. Let's worship God. But you know what? If it's true, if that really is where life is found and where worship is defined, then I say let's pray for that. In fact, Exodus 25, if you've ever struggled with this, if you've ever struggled being one track of mind, if you've ever been easily distracted, if the character of God hasn't awed you for 24 hours a day continually, then this text tonight strangely is for you. And I say strangely because we're going to learn about acacia wood and we're going to learn about the Ark of the Covenant and the bread of the presence, which sounds interesting, and we're going to learn about lampstands and all kinds of weird stuff, and yet somehow the whole heart of tonight's issue is worship. So here's what I'm praying, and I don't know what this, what's going to happen. All I know is I got together with a bunch of college students last Friday and prayed, 
and it was like one of the most unbelievable times I've had in a long, long, long time. And part of what we were praying for was that God continues to stir the college-age students, the young adults uh, that often represent this gathering. And if you're not in that age group here, we're so grateful that you're here. Seriously, so grateful. But God has done a work. I I feel like he's prepared us. And so I'm going to pray right now that he just goes crazy up in here. Is that cool? All right. All right. I think, I don't know if you guys are ready for me to pray that. You're like looking at your friends. I don't know that he should pray that. Um, Well, you don't have to, but I'm going to. All right. Lord, right now, like only you can, for your glory and name's sake, meet us here right now. Convict us in ways, God, that we never have been. In fact, I would pray right now that you would expose crevices of our heart that we have left in the dark places so that we wouldn't have to deal with it. Expose it now so that we could repent, receive grace and love and press forward. I pray right now, God, that you would literally just sweep over this place with your grace and your mercy and that no one would walk out of here not knowing the reality of your love. So please use this chapter for your glory in your great and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. So Exodus chapter 25, open your Bibles or turn in your cell phones. Um, to that chapter. We're going to study all 40 verses tonight, the entire chapter. Um, We are going bowling tonight afterwards, but we'll be lucky if it's still open when we're done. So Exodus chapter 25, beginning here in verse 1. When you're there, I'll know by the lit up face uh, from your LED screen. Okay, let's start here in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, um, now we're going to break these down into four sections. And you'll see in your Bible that that there's subtitles above that, and I've even correlated those with the screens. But I want to start right now with the Lord said to Moses. It's going to be a long night. Like we're starting out, you know, stopping after just the first phrase. This has been the pattern of Exodus. God speaks to Moses consistently. And remember where he's at right now. Where is Moses? Where is Moses? Come on. He's on Mount Sinai. Remember? Him and Joshua, his assistant, walk up the mountain. Joshua's like, hey, man, you got to keep going. And the cloud of God's glory enveloped Moses, right? And so him and God start having this conversation. So all that we're getting ready to see is this intense conversation between the God of the universe and a really old man with a cane on the top of a mountain. And here's what God says in verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel, also his mantra, that they may take from me a what? A contribution, Okay, just in case you're wondering, this is the first time that contribution finds its way in the scripture, right? So God, in his uh, teaching or his encouragement of Moses, says, look, the whole premise of what I'm about to say is around a contribution. Now, here's what he says. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution, and what's the word? For me. Uh, First of all, the contribution is not for the purpose of man for the glory of man, and I'll even add for the edification of man. The contribution is solely for the Lord. When we planted this church, you guys have heard this, uh, we wanted to get this mentality in our hearts. And so from the get-go, from week one, okay, uh, we said, hey, listen, we're going to say JB in the back. I didn't want to say it yet because we'll do it here in a second, right? And then every time we say that, we're going to scream, right? So every time I would say joy box in the back, then everyone would shout out like a little girl. And it was great, okay? But the premise that it was, that it was creating in our hearts was that it's a joy to give. That giving is a hard issue. 
that if you're prompted by man, then you're giving for the purposes of the glory of man or so that others see you as worthy of being glorified because of how generous you are, because of how great you are, because of course you would give sacrificially. Well, Paul later in 2 Corinthians adds to this teaching. Here's what he says in chapter 9, I believe. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his what? In his what? In his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What God tells Moses is the issue of worship, which will be our issue in this chapter, is an issue of the heart. It's not rote. It's not robotic. It's not to be done in response to man. Worship and what you be like, to me, is an issue of the heart. Now, I know some of you will be like, oh, perfect, that's my scapegoat. Yeah, it's just really not in my heart to give, you know. I, I really don't want to be generous. My heart is telling me so, you know. Well, well, let me just go ahead and, like, gather all of us into that. If, if your heart is so hardened that that's what you think, you better ask someone to go ahead and gauge your heart for you, you know. You better get some other people that can be decision makers for you because what happens is our heart gets cloudy, our heart gets hardened, our heart gets shameful, regretful, and then all of a sudden we start discerning things and use Christian language to mask our disobedience, right? So we'll, th- we'll say things like, yeah, God's really led me to, you know, break up with you and smack you in the face on my way out. Well, I'm not so sure that God would lead you to do that, right? Uh, yeah, but, you know, but God's led me, even though I just won the lottery, $3 million, God's led me on this particular lottery winning to give 50 cents of it, you know, back to the Lord and all my good graces. Yeah, I don't think that that's great. I don't think that that's biblical. And I'm, I'm pretty sure God did not call you to do that, you know? So we mask it by, the, by using creative language. When every single one of you right now, you can tell already where your heart is at because of how it's responding to the Lord. You don't have to look far. And that's what God tells Moses. Giving, worship, responding to me is an issue of the heart. So purge anything in your mentality right now that thinks that coming here and playing church or doing motions is worthwhile. Like nobody wins. Nobody wins with that. Okay? There's no motif. There's no excellence in you coming here and feeling like you got to fit to form. That's not what God's asking for. He's asking for your heart, not your lip service or your motions He says, you shall receive then the contribution for me. So here's the contribution. Check this out. A little bit wordy and a whole lot of fun. And this is, verse 3, the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Like the Olympics up in here, right? Now the question is, the question is, where do they get this? Where do they get gold, silver, and bronze? You guys remember? Remember, Yeah, but Egypt. Remember as they're like leaving, God says, you ask the Egyptians for what they got. So I picture them walking through the sea as it's parted, and they're like, you know, their gold rings are clanging up against each other. I mean, they pillage the Egyptians and all of a sudden have a ton of wealth. And so that's where it's going to come from. Look at this. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns. <laughs> uh, I think that's funny. Um, <laughs> how, many of you guys, do you guys, how many of you guys crochet and you're willing to admit it right now? Yes. Yes. Um. There's something so incredibly old-fashioned about yarn, and now you see why, because its origination is like thousands of years ago. You know what I'm saying? But 
at the same time, it's super, super cool. Like, do you remember your grandma crocheting? My grandma made every single one of her grandkids a blanket on their school colors, and she crocheted it, you know? And I don't know how in the world, like, it probably took her a year on each one, okay? But there's this premise of, of in this case, yarn being valuable. So that if you've ever felt like, as a crocheter, you had to justify your calling, you know, like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just really, you know, I like yarn, and... Now you have a biblical thing to stand on, you know? Exodus 25, man, why don't you take a hike, you know? Yarn is straight from the Lord. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And look at this, fine twined, uh, twined linen and goat's hair, right? So, some, Hey, dude, um, if you don't mind, go ahead and pluck in goat's hair one by one, please. I'm sure that will go well for you. We're going to bring that to the contribution. Tanned ram skins, like a football, right? Goat skins. Acacia wood, oil for the lamps, verse 6, spices for the anointing, anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and, the, and for the breast piece. And look at this. And let them make me a sanctuary from these things. And here's what God says is going to happen, that I may dwell in their midst. Well, this is a lot of things to put together to build a sanctuary for God to dwell in. Just so you know, um, there's not a biblical forum for what we did in here, Right? God wasn't like somewhere in like Matthew 30, um, which does not exist. He wasn't like, so hey, paint the ceiling black um, because it represents death. And then um, put garage sealer on the floor, hang open exposed light bulbs over people's heads. In the case that they break, they'll stick in people's flesh. You know, like there's no, there was no forum for what we did in here because things have changed. But I want you to understand the specificity for God is, or for what God is communicating about his sanctuary. Here's a picture of it. Okay, this is kind of what we're talking about here. The, the structure that would house God's dwelling. That's crazy, isn't it? Can you picture Moses at the top of the mountain, like, writing all this down? Like, seriously, yarn? Purple yarn? By the way, they, they would make purple from, self, uh, from shellfish. Like, that's how, like, they had to work hard at coloring yarn. Okay, it wasn't just you know, popped out from Kmart like it is for us. Kmart? (laughs) Why did that just come in my mind? Who still goes to Kmart? Are you kidding me? (laughs) We have one. Okay. You work there probably too, don't you? (laughs) So this is what is being constructed. That's going to go down forever in like the great classics. Mark said Kmart. I'm not even sure that's still around, you know? Here's here's how he ends this in verse 9. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Do exactly as I'm telling you, Moses, down to the detail. Down to the detail. Well, in each of these sections, I feel like there's something for us to learn. And it may seem weird, right? Like, you're probably not going to go home tonight and be like, yeah, so we studied uh, the tabernacle and, you know, I I learned that yarn and my heart, like, coexist. No, I want to, I do want to show you the powerful truth that comes from each of these four sections. So from this first section, look. Worship is a response of the heart that leads to obedience and joy. I want to pause there. Worship at its core is responding to God's initiation. God's initiated with us. He's loved us first. He's created us. He's cared for us. He's comforted us. He's provided us his word. And so because of all the things that God has done, we in worship of him are responding to him. 
The response of worship, listen to this, and this is where most of you pitfall, myself included, is most of you respond to man. You see how man worships, how man does it, how man uh, seems to follow God, and then in response to man, the approval of man, the need for man's acceptance, then you worship God. That is nowhere in the scripture. Worship God because of man. Nowhere. It's not in there. Look hard. What is in the scripture is, here is the beautiful piece of God's character that is unending, is not bound, has no barriers, love like flows. The, the moment you start to think you're understanding God's love, it's way, way, way deeper, wider than that. That's who God is. And so because of God, then we respond to that. And what it creates is obedience and joy. And I love that those two words are connected because most of you grew up thinking that obedience was a burden and not joyful. But when your heart is so enamored with the character of God, my friends, you cannot help but exist in joy in spite of the junk that's going on in your life. And that's what it means to be one track minded and one track heart. Nothing else matters because God is the one who is driving it all. So worship is that response that leads to obedience and joy, which are both expressions of gratitude. So let's, um, let's bottle up something right now. <clears throat> if you were to bottle up right now, individually, all of your worship, your obedience, your joy, your gratitude, that happens apart from everybody else, okay? No one around, never. Just you, you and the Lord. If we were to put that in a little bottle, right? My question is, like, how many of your bottles would, like, there wouldn't be able to put a cap on it? Because when you're with the Lord, like, that's the majority of your time. Like, coming together like this, this is just, like, this is a blessing from God to have a church community come together and worship and learn and grow and be sent out as missionaries. But most of your relationship with God happens between you and him. How many of you would really, really struggle finding any semblance of something to put in that jar? Because this is the majority of your walk with Christ. Now, if you're a non-believer, hey, listen, th this question isn't for you. We're just grateful you're here, okay? Continue to be curious. Continue to ask questions. Continue to journey with us. But for the believers in the room professing to love Jesus, I'm just telling you, the majority of your walk with Christ does not happen in this room. It doesn't happen in your campus ministries, okay? It doesn't happen with, with anyone except you and the Lord. Why? Because he's always God, and you're always you, and so because of that, it creates this desire to worship him. Are you guys with me? We can tell that as a church of one another because when we come together, we can see what's happening because the expression is clear. If, if the collective expression is doldrum, we already, we already don't know what's happened in people's hearts and lives individually. You guys see what I'm saying? Like, it, it's easy to tell. When the expression is natural, like, like literally, like, just, we just come out on a Wednesday night and say grace, and everyone's already, like, running around, you know, like, dancing in the aisles, doing cartwheels, round off back, I don't even know, right? Like, just people excited. Because just at the, at, the, at the moment that we start thinking about the Lord, it instantly reminds you again of this great God that you serve. Do you guys see what I'm saying? And again, this sounds euphoric. God is God, though. So if God's connected with euphoria because his character is that great, and he stirs us that much, then what in the world is going on? 
The expression is easy, is what I'm saying, okay? All from the structure of the tabernacle. Well, he goes on. Check this out. This gets really interesting in verse 10. Somewhat wordy. Stay with me. It'll be fun. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, okay? Thankfully, this has changed because most of you don't have that wood grown in your backyard, you know? Uh, God, I'm not sure where I'm going to find some of that. Will cherry tree work? No. Um, an ark is an enclosure, okay? You've all seen Noah, so you're all very theologically apt now um, on the happenings of the scripture. Um, an ark is an enclosure, okay? It was for Noah, and it is in this case. So they're going to build some kind of boxy thing, okay? Now look at what this box is going to entail. For all of you who are good at math, two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half is its breadth, and a cubit and a half is its height. What's a cubit? I've I've really, I've longed for this moment because it allows me to flex, okay? Wait for it, okay? Now, for those of you over here who can't see... I have like an any. Have you noticed that? It's like, anyway. <laughs> a cubit goes from the, the end of the middle finger. I won't show that currently. Um, to the end of the elbow. Okay? For most, uh, uh, for most largely muscular individuals like myself, that uh, length is about 18 inches. So this box then is 27 inches wide by uh, 27 inches deep and 47 inches long. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good size box. Now, what is this going to enclose, okay? You shall overlay it, verse 11 says, look at this, with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. I mean, this thing is going to be heavy, expensive. You shall cast four rings of gold for it, and put them on its four feet Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side. Here's what's happening. You're going to put feet on this thing because this box can't, can't get damaged. This box is so special. Whatever is going to be held in this box, it can't take wear and tear. So we're going to put feet on it, and then we're going to put rings on the outside, slide poles in it so that we can carry it. You guys all, you guys all with me? Right? Like Picture like an old Egyptian, you know, like carrying the princess kind of thing. Like that's... Not really at all like this, but you're with me, okay? Okay? Verse 15, the poles shall remain in the rings of the ark that they shall not be taken from it. Why is that? If you pull the poles out and then constantly are putting them back in, it's going to create wear and tear. We don't want wear and tear. We want it to continue to go. And verse 16, you shall put into the ark, here we go, the what? The testimony that I shall give you. So what's the testimony? What goes in the ark? What? is enclosed in our nice handy-dandy box. What's the 10 words, the 10 commandments, or as we've described in Exodus, the 10 gifts? I know many of you, got, uh, because you've seen Charlton Heston's version of the 10 commandments, or because some felt bored in Sunday school, or just um, because it's the way you, you understand it, you think that the 10 commandments are on two tablets, five on one side, five on the other. It seems, you know, to match up. That would be a good use of space. But actually, uh, the tablets have 10 on one side and 10 on the other, the same 10. And what they represent is both sides of the covenant. God saying, I'm going to fulfill my side of the covenant, and him challenging his people to fulfill their side. So that is what is going to 
be held in this ark is going to be the Ten Commandments. And look at the description here. Verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. I liken this to, uh, to a dad's chair, right? Does your dad have a chair? You guys know what I'm talking about? I grew up, and like my dad had a lazy boy. And no one sat in that lazy boy, and no one touched the remote on that lazy boy. And you would definitely never want to smell that lazy boy, you know, because dad dropped some bombs on that lazy boy, you know. But my, my, dad had a, my dad had a seat. Does your dad have a seat? Seriously? Like still to this day, we were just at my dad's. Does this not happen anymore? Is this not a cultural thing? Okay. I was at my dad's two weeks ago. My dad still has a seat. And I wake up, I'm, you know, first up in the morning, and I like walk in the living room. And no one's there. Like, this is my chance, right? And, and I, I walk by his chair, and I, I think in my mind, I can't sit there. That's my dad's chair, you know? It's like, what kind of hotel is this? You know what I'm saying? Of course I can sit there. I, I liken this, this mercy seat, to that same mentality because it's, it's set apart. It's special, maybe a stretch to be dad's chair, but the significance of it is incredible. The Hebrew word here for mercy, listen, is actually probably better atonement. One of the first major mentions, we see a kind of a snippet in Genesis and a snippet in the early part of Exodus, but the first major a discussion of atonement comes here, the atonement seat. So what's this seat? Look at this. It's going to be two cubits, verse 17, and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half is its breadth. And because all of you are cubit efficient, you're now good to go, verse 18. And you shall make, look at this, two, what's that? Cherubim of gold, here we go. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Whoever's going to be entrusted to hammer this, this is pretty interesting. Make one cherubim on the one end and the other cherub on the other. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim of its two ends. I know all of you are picturing this in your mind so beautifully. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with its wings. Their faces to one another, toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And here we go, verse 21. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. And what does verse 22 say? There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give in the commandment for the people of Israel. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, here's the Ark of the Covenant. Boom. Okay, there it is. There's Indiana on the far right. This is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Have you guys seen this? Okay. Brandon, we're getting old, bro. Like three people in here have seen Indiana Jones. It's a horrible day. So anyway, here's how they show us the Ark of the Covenant, okay? Now, I want to show you, not too bad, actually. This is one instance where maybe pop culture got this decently uh, accurate. Here's the next picture. I drew this earlier with a colored pencil. So pretty, pretty close. You'll notice the cherubim on top there facing one another, the wings, you know, outstretched. You see the poles. You see even the feet on the bottom. This looks like, you know, I kind of shaded this a little darker. Uh, finally, here's, here's how Crossway, uh, the ESV Bible, uh, makes it, you know, a little more cartoonish. But this, this box is largely significant. Inside, not only is it going to be mobile, but inside is going to uh, be uh, the... Um, the tablets. And what starts happening in uh, Jewish history is this uh, Ark of the Covenant becomes very, very mobile and is taken very, 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 very sacred because it holds in it, even as it were, the presence of God. So my question is, what's, 
the truth that we can walk away from the ark with. Well, here is how I describe this. Check this out. God still meets with his people mercifully. God says, from the mercy seat, from the seat of atonement, I'm going to approach you, I'm going to meet with you, but now much more intimately. This is going to be a running theme as it has been through Exodus, but I want to ask, how many of you want this? Uh, Has a friend ever said, hey, can we go out for coffee and talk? And you're like, heck no. Because you knew they wanted to talk about something intense. Like you knew they were going to confront you or something. Has that ever happened? Like every once in a while, someone will text me. And, you know, I get a lot of texts that are like that. Hey, Mark, um, you know, I haven't talked to you in like three months. But would you, could we get out and talk about some things that I want to yell at you about? Um, Sure. Um, You know, and. My next text is always like, you know, like, so could, could, like, what's the topic of conversation? You know, have you ever done that? So I have a little bit of a heads up, like instantly kind of, what's going to happen here? Because of past encounters that you think you've had with God, you're running from them now. And because worship is a heart issue, the God of the universe who wants to intimately meet with you, ultimately deep down in your heart, you're not that interested. You're okay in a formulaic way worshiping God because you believe in your mind and your heart that's what you're you're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, you do not want to encounter God face to face because you know the exposure of your sin will be too much to take. And for whatever reason, you believe that his grace will not be enough for you. And so you're saying, I want to worship God And what your heart's communicating is, I want to run. So let's just deal with this question for a moment in the room, shall we? God is meeting with his people mercifully. We deserve to die, and yet he said, no, I'll meet with you. My question for you, every single one of you individually, same question I'm asking myself is, is that what you want? Because if it's not, then let's just call it what it is. You do not desire to worship God. The fear of yourself, the fear of your sin, the fear of being overwhelmed outweighs meeting intimately with a merciful and gracious God. What I'm saying is you don't need the mercy seat anymore. There's no Ark of the Covenant. What does the scripture say? Where has that law been written? Anybody? Turn it in our hearts. And now we, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, are the mobile moving temples of the Lord. And I'm just asking you to all wrestle with at this point in this text. Is that what you want? Just call it what it is. Just be real. No one's asking you to hear, to be formulaic or to act, put on a facade. No one wants that. Just be real with where you're at. All right, how about some, how about some bread, okay? Here we go, verse 23. How's that for a transition? They taught me that in pastor school. Here we go. You shall make... <laughs> You shall make a table of acacia wood, and we better have an abundance of that. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. So it's smaller than the ark. Quick math there. Do you like that? That's impressive, isn't it? You shall overlay it with pure gold, another overlay, so wood on the underneath and then gold on top, and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make 
uh, and you shall make a rim around it. This isn't a basketball rim. Uh, with a, a hand breadth wide with, and a molding of gold around the rim. And you shall make, just like of the ark, four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners and its, as its four legs so that it can be mobile. Close to the frame, the rings shall lie as holders, verse 27, for the poles to carry the, the table. Check this out. You shall make uh, the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Even the poles have gold. And, um, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make, check this out, make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons, whatever that is, and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. Has your, like, were, do you have parents, that, like your friends came over and they got out the gold china? Like, has that ever happened? Right? Like mom goes to her, goes to her dish yet and, you know, you know, like out come the gold plated, you know. At my house, I'll guarantee you right now, paper plates, right? And we put them in the dishwasher. They come out better the second time. I'm just telling you, a little bit runny, like the paint like starts to run together, right? In my house, that's not how we roll. But, but for the Lord, for the Lord, gold utensils all the way around. And look at verse 30. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Does this seem odd to anyone else? God's asking them to make bread apparently so he can eat it on gold china. Now, a couple things. First, remember last week, ancient Near East, the culture is used to a covenant meal. When a covenant is made, a meal is often the thing that inaugurates the covenant. And so this bread, A, has a piece of representation in that, but also has a piece of representation in being a core facet of life. I know many of you are probably too young to remember this, but there was a big craze in the late 80s, early 90s that everyone had to have a bread maker, okay? It was kind of like a boxy thing. It worked about three times, and then it shorted out. But did you guys, did, you guys, did your moms have this, okay? Did your moms, okay? Did your mom have this? Listen, as a kid, one of my favorite, one of my favorite mornings was when I would like wake up, you know, like rubbing my, and, and mom had put, put the bread on before the, you know, right? And all you could smell was just yeast and wheat mixed with honey and grain. And I just, let's just go to Texas Roadhouse right now. You know what I'm saying? Like just do, I just love bread. Anyone else? Like, I mean, I, I know the scripture says man does not live on bread alone, but I've sure given that scripture a run for its money. You know, like, I'm, I mean, I just, I just love, I love bread. So why does God, in the structuring of his sanctuary, want bread? What's been the image for the Israelites so far? What rained down from heaven? Manna. It was like bread. Bread is a basic food element. So not only is it an element of this being a covenant meal, but also bread represents basic provision and basic life. Uh, This is uh, what the bread of the presence table looks like. Twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes of Israel. There's the rings and the poles so that it could be mobile. Pretty interesting table. I'm sure most of your bread isn't displayed as such. Here's the truth that I want to walk away from this piece with. Because God is life, then life is experienced worshiping him. Let Let me just get super, super real right now. My campus in college. Uh, many of you guys know my story. Long story, a little bit longer. 
Um, we, we, every other Thursday night, we get together for worship and prayer. And that is one of the scenes of my life that defined life. When nothing else matters besides God, that's when you truly live. Like no one was thinking about anything else, honestly. I mean, people just consumed. No one wanted to go home ever. Because it was just like, man, God is, God is really who, who he said that he is. Let's just celebrate together. It was happening in their individual life. And so when they got together, it was just a straight party. That's what our longing is here. There's always going to be non-believers in our midst. And we're so thankful that you're here. Like I said before, continue to come. Be curious. For the believers in the room, dear heavens, this better be a celebration and a party of who our God is every week. It doesn't mean you got to put on a fake smile. It doesn't mean you got to fake clap. Think about the Lord and then express your gratitude. And we get the chance to do that corporately. Like what, what a blessing is that? You've been building up all week long because God's been rocking your heart and your face through his word. And then we get to get together. Like this is the beautiful piece of the corporate gathering. This is our longing here. That we would experience true life and community with one another as you're already experiencing life individually with God. That is where life is defined. In the worship, not of yourself, but of God. Are you, are you with me? What does the culture say? Hey, life will be defined if you can exalt yourself, figure out your gifts, self-actualize, all of this crap when true life is really in the worship of God, in the bent knee, in the humble heart, in the glorification of the one who's worthy of it. That's where life is, church. And what's happening is we're disconnecting from that, believing that life is somewhere else. And I'm just telling you from experience, as all of you, most of you have experienced yourselves Life is found in this worship of God. And so I love the image of bread here. As this basic sustenance of life, God says, okay, part of this covenant meal, we're going to bring in bread. And then finally, fire. Um, how many males here in the room? Okay. That was as if I asked, how many gorillas here are in the room? Four. Could be worse, right? Uh, so this weekend, this college weekend, we have a ton of you going and still time to sign up. Uh, shameless plug. On Saturday night of this weekend, we will have a bonfire. And let me go ahead and show you what's going to happen here, okay? All the girls will, you know, they'll be excited because, you know, fire means that they don't have, you know, that, you know, they're going to snuggle up with blankets and, you know, ha, ha, like do, you know, laugh girl ways. <laughs> but what guys will be doing is this right here, hands in the pocket, standing around the fire, watching it. <laughs> not saying a word, not saying a word. It's fire. Right? Every once in a while, kind of moving to a different angle, still Fire. If you watch, it's even better. Like, guys sometimes will hold hands, you know? Like all the girls sitting on the logs and guys just like, it's like they're having some seance around the fire, right? <laughs> we're, we're enamored with fire. And there's many reasons why. But I think actually one of the reasons why God brings in here this premise of the lampstand is this core issue of what light and the power of it really is. So check this out. This is very, very detailed <laughs> in case you're into lampstands. Um, <laughs> Verse 31, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. 
The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. I want nothing to do with this kind of hammer work. Uh, its base, its stem, its cups, its uh, calyxes, its flowers shall be done of one piece with it. This is kind of like a menorah for those of you guys that have seen that. Verse 32. And there shall be six branches going out of its side, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand on the other. That's hilarious to me. Like God's, God's like communicating like e- equilibrium, you know? Hey, listen, if you're going to make a lampstand, and we got six of them, let me just go ahead and spell it out for you. Three on each side, you know? Like Moses is going to go down and be like, hey, listen, let's put four on one side and two on. It's like, it's crazy, right? <laughs> I think this is awesome. Verse 33, look at this. Three cups made like almond blossoms. <laughs> it was a great 90s show, Blossom, wasn't it? Each with, a, each with a calyx and the flower on one branch and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, okay, thank you so much. Verse 34, and on the lampstand itself shall there be four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. Have you ever seen this in the scripture before in your life? Like this is the new tattoo, verse 36. Their calyxes and their branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it in a single piece of hammered work of pure gold, right? Some of you right now, you're going home and like, this is your new Facebook status. Verse 36 there. Verse 37, you shall make seven lamps for it. And the lamps, in other words, one in the middle, shall be set up so as to give light on the space in front of it. Its tongs and their tray shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all, verse 39, these utensils out of a talent of pure gold. And see that, uh, see that you make, it, uh, make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown to you on the mountain. Can anyone at this moment picture Moses? He's old, hard of hearing, right? Like memory probably fading. And God has just told him all of this. Like, do you picture him up there? You know, like with his cane? Like, say that again? Almond blossoms, you know? (laughs) Right? Like, and God has said twice in this chapter, everything that I've told you, like, you get it right. It's overwhelming. Here's a picture of the lampstand, just in case you're curious or not curious. It's going to come. There it is. Look at that. You see the almond blossoms there? And the seven lamp pieces. Um, the power of light, even in a dark uh, sanctuary and tabernacle, if it's all enclosed in the picture that we saw before, this would be the piece that was providing the light so that the high priest or the priest even, as it were at times, could enter into the deepest parts of the tabernacle. Here's the truth that I want to take from this last piece. Because God is light, with which 1 John 1, 5 tells us, if God is who you worship, not if it's not, but if God is who you worship, then you are children of light, children of the day. In other words, here's what happens. Let's pull all together. Because the mercy of God, because of who he is, you respond to who he is in worship, joy, obedience, gratitude. And then what happens is, is you resemble the thing that you then worship. The light of the Lord then infiltrates itself into your life. So if it's not God, then let's say it this way, you resemble what you worship. Look, I've thought long and hard about all this. Staff, we've talked about it as many texts in Exodus, like, you walk away from this, right? And you're like, okay, so what am I going to tell my mom about this teaching? The powerful piece of texts like this in the Old Testament 
is the issue is worship from here on out in Exodus. And all of this, all of this, the specifics of this set up a simple text in Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through, look at this, the greater and more perfect tent. Well, the whole instructions of God was the tent, the tabernacle, the place of meeting, the holy of holies. God is structuring the place where the Israelites will dwell, where he will dwell amongst them, where they will meet him. Christ comes through the greater and more perfect tent. Look at this, not made with hands. Somebody see that? What's this whole commandment about? Hey, go get you some gold. Go get some bronze. Go get some silver. Go get some linen. Okay, man's going to make it. We're going to put it together. What does it say about Christ? He made a more perfect tent, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of what? That's right, his own blood. So he is himself the perfect Passover lamb, offers himself in obedience to God, the beautiful peace, thus securing an eternal redemption. What I'm saying is, is anyone else getting the picture that in Exodus, this thing is going to be pretty difficult? I mean, they got to match these details down to the T. It's very specific. I would even say it's hard. It's complicated. And for you and I, I'm just saying right now, receive it or not, believe it or not, it is simple. Our worship of God is simple. The question every day, in every circumstance, in every situation, is God who he said that he was? Is he who, who he says that he is? Are his promises true? Does the scripture ring true? Is my life really going to respond to God and who he is or respond to man? That's the question all of us are asking. It's simple. You don't got to build an ark. You don't have to make a lampstand. You don't have to fashion from your backyard out of acacia wood a means by which you can worship God. He has provided the way for you to worship him. He's given it for you. You don't have to pull up your bootstraps or muster it or walk in this room and somehow circumvent it or create it. He's already provided it for you. And so then you start wondering, what in the world is holding us back? If God has provided the means from himself to worship himself, then what is the church doing? Why are we still like looking down, tying our own shoe? Why are we sewing back up the curtain that's already been torn into? Why are we rebuilding the ark like we're holding something in there like God only dwells in there when he already dwells in us? What are we doing building these things again? It's not necessary. This text in Hebrews ends this way. I love this in verse 13. Check this out. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, somebody see this tonight, how much more will the blood of Christ? How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will it purify our conscience from dead works, what? To serve the living God. I just got one question in all this. What is hindering freedom to worship? What is hindering it? Like I've told you already, my desire, one track mind, one track heart, God is it. 
I believe deep in my heart you're either worshiping God in light of your circumstances or you're seeing your circumstances in light of your God. And so wherever you're at in that whole mix, then that's how you're worshiping. So if you're right now just sitting in a big heap of manure, relational chaos, financial chaos, don't know what you're doing with your life, confused about, you know, who to date and who to marry and all those kinds of things, and then you start trying to see God through that lens, then your worship will be in response to man. Whatever man's doing, whatever is your surroundings, then your worship will just be on that roller coaster. If your God is the one who's defining all of these things, if he reigns and rules over all these things, then you're truly responding to him. Then what does that mean? No matter what happens circumstantially, it will never change him. So my worship is always free. And I'm not just talking about singing. That's our expression. I'm talking about joy and obedience and humbled bent knee. Are you guys with me tonight? So wherever you're at in that whole mix, that tonight shows you what's hindering you. And I just want to name those things tonight. Man, dudes, why another day? Why another day? Let the lie of pornography somehow just hold your heart in its hand and tell you that 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 pornography can define your God. Think of how elusive and ridiculous that is. But you're letting it. The days you struggle, guess what? The worship of your God diminishes. That makes no sense. You start focusing on God more than you do your porn problem, and maybe all of a sudden we'll start seeing some progress. All the girls in that mix, we we attribute porn often just just to males. I know for sure it's a huge female issue. Listen, start focusing on the Lord more than your porn problem. Watch what God does. Your relational strife, the pain and the hurt, the wounds that have been opened wide for you, I'm just telling you, the blood of Christ. What's hindering you tonight? I want to name those things. And I, in this room, want to see what happens if maybe, maybe the Lord just releases those things from you. So let's stand together, huh? Just for a moment. take a moment to ask yourself that question. What's hindering you? What's holding you back? What's created discord? What's confusing your worship? What's making you respond to man instead of him? God, all of these things that are coming to our mind and our heart right now, We lay them before you. Our addictions, our shame from the past, our regret about our future. Right now we're asking you to bring healing. Your promises say that you're near to the brokenhearted. Break our heart. Stir our heart to true repentance tonight, God. Fall on this place. Help my brothers and sisters receive grace who have kept it at arm's bay. Help us know the depth of your love tonight, God. I pray in these moments that we worship in freedom, that you create in our mind and our heart a picture of your character, God, that will not fade with our stuff. So please, again, right now in these moments, 
right on our hearts the definition of who you are and help us even now respond to that truth.